you know, just reminding myself that we're all in this together. We are all humans. We are all going through something. Before you enter that door or before you turn on that Zoom, you have had a life. You know, you have to homeschool your kids right now. You have to get lunch ready. You got to take the dog out, whatever it is. And so let's remember that when we enter in to a conversation or when we go to work, let's remember that other people are doing exactly what we're doing. We're waking up, we're putting our feet on the ground, we're having a cup of coffee, and we have other things going on in our lives other than just the hustle that we do at work. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Way. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, This is the podcast for you. Well, welcome to another episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. This is Dr. Anthony Orsini, and I'll be your host again today. Today, my friends, you are in for a special treat because today I have the distinct honor and pleasure to interview Claude Silver, who is the Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia. And for those of you not familiar with VaynerMedia, VaynerMedia is a full-service digital agency serving Fortune 500 companies. Claude works alongside Gary Vaynerchuk, the CEO of VaynerMedia, who is a serial entrepreneur and public personality. His podcast, The Gary V Audio Experience, is one of the most popular podcasts on Apple for the last two years running, and I highly recommend that I do subscribe myself. As Chief Heart Officer, Claude oversees everything and anything that has to do with the people who make up the incredible company called VaynerMedia. Claude's current role is the capstone of a career spanning over 20 years and numerous Fortune 50 companies. She is known for taking a particularly human approach to human resources, unlocking employees' potential for forming close person-to-person connections, fostering an inclusive culture, empowering purpose-driven teams, and inspiring the entire organization. Her success is driven by a passion for creating spaces in which people can succeed. So welcome, Claude. Wonderful to be here, Tony. Thank you so very, very much. And, and thank you uh, for all of the work that you've been doing. Well, I have to say that although it's an often overused word, I really am truly honored that you are on this podcast with me. I've heard so much about you. In full disclosure, my daughter Summer works at VaynerMedia. So I think it's a little bit more than two years now. So I know firsthand that when it comes to providing a supportive and empathetic environment, that Claude and VaynerMedia practice what they preach. My daughter loves working there and she loves the environment that you and Gary have created. So I can attest to the audience right now that Claude and Gary just don't say the right things. They actually do the right things. So please listen because Claude's going to have a lot of great things to tell you. Claude, each and every week, I renew my promise to my audience that by the end of the podcast, they'll feel inspired and they will have learned practical communication techniques that will help them in their private and personal lives, especially during those difficult times. And having you on this show, I have no doubt that I'll keep my promise. (laughs) 
Thank you. (laughs) Amazing. So, Claude, as you know, this is about communication and the difficult conversations that we have. But before we get into that and go into the communication part of it, I just want them to know a little bit about you. So tell us about who Claude Silver is and maybe perhaps providing just a little context on the incredible title that you have of Chief Heart Officer. Fantastic. Yes. Thank you. Thank you again. My name is Claude Silver. I am uh, the Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia. And in a nutshell, Gary and I came up with the title Chief Heart Officer for a very, very basic reason. Human beings have hearts. Hearts are the central operating system of any human. And human beings are the central operating system of any organization. We consider people to be human and hearts, not employees, not people that work for us. We work for them. It really is a self-fulfilling organism, if you will. And I got my start a long, long time ago. I got into the digital world in 1998. I had been working towards uh, getting my MSW. I thought that I would go down the same path as my mom, being a psychotherapist. I have a heart that wants to help. It is just the way I was raised and a, a massive belief that I have that through compassion and empathy, listening and creating value for people that we can do just about anything. So I've been in this world in terms of mentorship and coaching for a very long time, ran ropes courses, outward bounds, you name it. And I'm here to hold space for people and then to spring into action is what I would say. That's fantastic. Uh, You once said, and I'm going to quote you here, I want to bring the human back into human resources and humanity back into corporate culture. I believe that everyone needs to know that they belong. I believe in empathetic cultures and servant leaderships. And I'm on a mission to create a revolution of tenderness. We no longer need to be known as our titles. And that's very important. I'll get into that because that's another parallel between you and me. We are human beings first. I'd like to know how difficult has that been for you to do that at Vayner? And why do you think other companies are lagging behind Vayner when it comes to that? Yeah. So I will start with the second part of the question first, which is, okay. I believe that people see leadership as an authoritative role. I believe people still see leadership as a title leading from an ivory tower. You work for me. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me what goes on in your life other than the eight, nine hours that you're punching in and punching out. I report to, this is what a leader would say, I report to my shareholders or I have to hit my quarterly numbers, so forth and so on. And right then and there, it removes the entire human from the process. It's an Excel sheet. It's a, I need to get from point A to B and you're going to do that for me. So I think there's a lot of micromanagement. I think there's a lot of power and control and we can get into that in in my ideas of why. Now, the way that we do that at VaynerMedia comes from the top. We have an incredible leader named Gary Vaynerchuk, who is not only a CEO, he is a practitioner. He is an executioner. He knows what is going on with all of the people there, with the process there. It's amazing that someone that is so busy can really concentrate, as he calls, on the sky and the dirt. Mm -hmm. And the dirt meaning like the operations, what's going on under the hood there. So Gary is an empath. He is full of self-awareness and EQ. 
And if you're going to work at VaynerMedia and succeed, that's the name of the game. It is very, very rare that you will find a micromanager or a control freak there. It just doesn't work. You would be the odd man woman out. And, you know, that's not what you want to do at Vayner. You want to be part of the collective. We are seriously a culture of we, not I. It's something that I'm, I'm so incredibly proud to co-cultivate on a daily basis, along with everyone, including your daughter. You know, it, it takes a village. Why do you think other companies are having trouble getting to where you are? Is it that they don't want to or they're just not evolved or, or, and, or maybe possibly they are? Is this catching on? Well, I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, I think there's a new dawn right now. Now, not only because we're in COVID and we're really all awakening to the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, yes, that is incredibly important where we are currently. But we've got the millennial generation with us and we've got Generation Z right on its tails. And these folks will not stand for the old guard. They will not stand for how it used to be with boomers or Gen Xers like myself. They want to work at a place that makes them feel proud. They want to find meaning in their work. They want to be given actionable feedback. They want growth and development. They want purpose. They want to take part in something. They don't want to just be adjuncts. So That, I think, is one of the real reasons that we do need to change to meet this incredible workforce and to retain this incredible workforce, because that's really key. The other thing is that, as we know, you can open up any HBR article or any, you know, Inc. magazine. There is a lot of talk about mental health right now, about anxiety. This generation or these generations are very open about what's going on in their worlds and what they're dealing with. And so we need to meet them. We need to cross the bridge and link arms with them now. I don't think we have a choice. And by the way, I wouldn't want the choice. This is the way to be. Why wouldn't I treat the people I work with eight, nine hours a day the same way I treat my friends when I go out to brunch with them or my soccer team friends or my aunt, my, you know, whomever. Like why? I don't understand. I never have really understood the difference between shutting off one part of your yourself, your being to walk into a door and all of a sudden you're just like, you don't, you have no feelings or, you know, you're much more of a stick figure. So anyway, long way winded saying of times have changed. The revolution is happening. And I do know that we will continue to evolve and transform into much more empathetic cultures and companies. So that that leads beautifully into what I want to discuss next. And there's so many parallels between what you do and what I do. As you know, I'm in the medicine space. Medicine's a little bit differently in that, you know, in the 19, early 1900s, medicine was all about healing, compassion. There wasn't many procedures that we had other than hold someone's hand and, and say, you know, I hope you get better. But over the years, since 1912, to be exact, over the years, physicians and nurses have been told not to feel. And they've been told that you can be a better scientist if you're not empathetic. And what I saw in medicine over the last 100 years is that you see that the rigors of being efficient, the administration coming down on physicians saying that you need to see more patients in a faster amount of time, and economics of medicine, and then being told from the beginning that you're not supposed to feel what has happened is there's been this major gap between the healthcare providers and the patients. And that has led to burnout. And 
we were told to the beginning that we wouldn't burn out if we didn't feel when actually the opposite now is coming to light and that there's more and more studies showing when you feel, when you show that tear, when you show that compassion, you actually protect yourself on burnout. So I guess there's a question in there somewhere. And what I mean by that is, and so by the way, the Orsini way, that's what we do. We, we teach people how to, to reconnect. I believe that every human being has compassion or empathy. It's there, whether you're a physician, a nurse, or you're a business leader. But I think what happens is the rigors of everyday life just kind of get to you. And sometimes we forget. Do you think that's what happened in business is, was the, the pursuit of the bottom line and the perception that if you're feeling and compassionate and empathetic that you were weak, is that how we got here in the first place and now we're recovering? Well, I think that's, you've, you've summed it up pretty well. For some reason, I believe probably in after the Great Depression, people had to feed their families and people had to punch in and punch out. And there was not a lot of emotion required, required, I say in in parentheses, required, needed, or probably desired at the workplace. It was a place that you were potentially moving up a ladder, but really you were bringing home bread and butter for your family. And the working world was very much still manual. We started going into our head towards the information age and, you know, what the the head right there, if, if you're, you know, going in and building code or techie or whatnot, you're really almost decoupled from your heart. I mean, you work in this world, it's incredibly very scientific and it's very analytical and it's very left brain. So I think what ended up happening towards, you know, this is just a one person's opinion, but I think at some point in the late seventies, the markets opened up and people began to see that they could make a lot of money. And I think Michael Douglas portrayed it incredibly well in Wall Street that (laughs) greed is good. It's the American way, having whatever you want, when you want it, work hard, put your head down, you'll get it, you'll get the boat, you'll get the cars, whatnot. But that is so devoid of heart. That is so, I mean, put your head down right there. Absolutely. There's not like, how about the notion of get your heart into it? (laughs) (laughs) So I think society, in many ways, dictated or translated to people what they needed to do if they wanted to get from A, B to C. And here we are, you know, 2020, 2021, in a a global pandemic, where what we need to be doing, what we are doing is putting our hearts into it to help one another. We are all in this collective pandemic together, regardless of what what, what race you are, regardless of who you're going to vote for. We're all experiencing the same thing. And there's something, I think, incredibly special and tender about this collective and this experience that we're going through right now. Absolutely. Let's talk about the pandemic. Uh, You once said that it's your job to keep the pulse of everybody at VaynerMedia to know about what's going on. I'm a big body language person. I teach a lot of body language. 70% is nonverbal of our language. I would think that that's easier to do while you walk the floors of VaynerMedia to look around, to see what's going on and pick up things. But now all of a sudden, everyone's working at home. And so how difficult has it been for you during COVID to keep the pulse of the company? You know, it's actually not that difficult because I'm sitting here on a screen and other people are coming on and they're sitting on a screen. So, I mean, there's a real presence here. 
I mean, when you and I are on a screen together right now and we're looking at one another, I'm not reading the magazine or I'm not looking up and down. So I'm very focused on you and you're very focused on me. And I think that that's something that, by the way, takes intention. I have to read you in a different way. I have to hear your tonality in a different way. When we're on these Zooms and we all occupy the same size square, there's something really fascinating about that, right? It really like, it strips power and superiority and leveling just right out of the window there because we all take up the same amount of square. It's, it's fascinating. But the thing that I've been talking about since we entered the pandemic in March is that there is a, an incredible awareness that we need to have as we enter someone else's domain. As I enter your living room, your closet, wherever it is you've set up shop, because, you know, look, we're doing what we can. You're, you know, some people are sitting in a closet, some people are working from bed. And as leaders, we need to be incredibly sensitive and aware and awake to what we are being invited into, because that's not the way the working world really was set up, right? You go to an office, you all look the same, you all have the same cubicle. So, I think there's this extra element of A, listening, making sure that everyone has an opportunity to speak is incredibly important. That is, an, and, and I think ritual, and it's something that I talk quite a bit about because as you walk around the office, as you walk around the hospital, you're able to say, hi, how are you? High five. You get a coffee with someone, you check in, whatnot. You go to the bathroom. That's three minutes of interacting with people, right? Mm-hmm. And now you don't have those micro breaks and you don't have those micro moments to kind of decompress and cognitively shut off for a second. So now what we need to do is make sure, is make sure that we're getting those micro breaks and being able to take our mind off of the screen for little moments in time. So, you know, checking in with people, making sure that you have the rituals when you get back online, you know, how are you? Talk about something that's very, almost very benign, just to kind of, you know, shoot the you know what for a bit to remind each other that we're human and we're each going through this and then get into whatever it is you want to get into. Great. Fantastic. So let's shift over to difficult conversations now. So what is the most difficult conversation that you have with your employees and what advice can you give to managers and to have those conversations I'm a firm believer that the difference between a manager and a leader is how they communicate. And that the biggest problem that companies have is promoting the smartest person in the group who can't communicate, who doesn't have any empathy, and then can't retain employees. So what would you say in your everyday or even either a common communication that you do every day that's difficult or maybe the most difficult one? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. I think that you know, obviously when you are terminating someone and letting someone go, it's a terribly challenging conversation because you are changing that person's life right there. You are eliminating a paycheck potentially. However, those are not the difficult conversations for me. In in fact, when I have those conversations and the person is, is sitting there with me, what I will say is this is going to be a challenging conversation, or this will be a difficult conversation because that is the truth. So those aren't the hard conversations. The harder conversations for me is when I have to get out of my own way and stop chickening out and I need to tell someone feedback and observations and what's really going on. Where are they not excelling? Uh, How are they misbehaving, if you will? What we need to see from them, performance plans. You know, those are harder for me because 
look, I know the minute I start that conversation, the person is, is waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. And so how am I holding that person and how am I holding that space, whether or not it's on a screen or in person, so that I can really, really try to help their cortisol levels go down so their anxiety goes down. That's really key. Otherwise, look, fight or flight is happening every minute of the day, if not. Mm -hmm. So the harder conversations are more challenging for me because I have to make sure I can be honest and empathetic. But the honest part is really you know, I have to be crystal clear with feedback. You have to be very specific with feedback because me telling you, hey, great job, nothing. That means nothing. Me yeah. telling you, it was okay, you could have done better. That means nothing. But So I have to go the extra mile and that's what we have to train people to do, to go the extra mile of the why and how am I gonna help you get there? My book that I just published just a few months ago, it's called It's All in the Delivery. <laughs> and uh, that's a quote from uh, W.C. Fields, an old comedian. They asked him why his jokes were so funny. And his, his answer was, it's all in the delivery. And I stressed that so much during my communication training. And it sounds like you're very aware of that. How do you teach your manager to do that? Do you use certain exercises? Or how do you teach a manager to give good feedback? Well, we role play. That's exactly yeah. how you do it. And so, you know, whether or not we're, we're doing improv or I'm giving them some examples to get up on in front of the room and role play that out with a colleague, that's what you have to do. And yes, it's funny, right? It's almost like an SNL skit. But why is it also funny is because we also know how poor we do feedback. You know, we're laughing because it's, it's you know. So Kim Scott wrote an incredible book called Radical Candor. And Radical Candor is a way to critically give someone feedback while caring about them personally. And she's got some steps that are lined out, which is, you know, being clear, being specific, being kind, obviously, and being current. So don't give me feedback from something I did three months ago or even three right. weeks ago and actionable. And we use those principles to, to really train people on feedback. I call it feedback training 101. And we take the org through it at least three or four times a year and do a lot of practicing. And so that's what, you know, that's what some of the learning and development that we're doing and training and development, because we can't expect as much as I would love to say, everyone knows how to turn on their empathy gene and everyone knows how to turn on their compassion. That's not the case. People are wired differently. So the training and getting it instilled into their DNA really is what we need to do. And when I train physicians on how to have interactions, especially during breaking bad news, we use professional actors, actors that have been on Broadway mm. who volunteer their services and will play a mother who just lost the baby or will play a, a husband who just heard that he had cancer because mm. it has to be so real. We bring these doctors in and nobody wants to be videotaped, but we actually videotape them and then we bring them in the room and that's where they really look and they see their body language and how uncomfortable they were in this situation. We had one doctor, I was asked once by a, a hospital administrator to speak to a doctor who was particularly not very pleasant to his patients. And he was, he was in trouble losing his job. And so we put him through an improvisational role playing and he didn't want to be there. He was very angry. This was remedial stuff for him. And we brought him in and he, he had to discuss a medical error. He had to tell the actor that they left a sponge in her. And the actors, she's amazing and she was great. And she was playing this old Italian woman with the Italian accent. It was really, it was very, it was very clever. The point is he sits back after the, the conversation's over 
he sits in the room with me. We're watching the videotape with me and my team. And my team is going, he was so bad. And he was such a jerk, like, Dr. Orsini, you're going to take this one. I, I'm, I'm not even going to say anything to him. And I said, just let him watch. So he watched for about two and a half minutes. And part of my language, he looks up at me and he goes, I am such an asshole. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, you think so? Like, well, you know what? I'm trying to be positive with him. But the point is that that kind of role playing, he is now an instructor for me. And he <laughs> teaches other doctors on how to be empathetic and compassionate. He just didn't know. Yeah. And I think the role playing really makes a big difference. But back to the COVID, in the last few months, there's, you know, the hospital has been so busy. I haven't been doing a lot of training with the hospitals. But what I have had is I've had several companies contact me, one international company that said, our human resource people now are in a position for the first time to call people on the phone and say, Sally, John, who sat next to you for the last five years, just died of COVID. And we can't have a memorial service because we have to do it by Zoom and I have to call. And they're just not prepared for that. So what advice for, I don't know if you've had to do it personally, and I don't know if, I hope Vayner hasn't lost anyone to COVID. I know you're, what, over 800 people, but that's an incredible conversation to have. How would you approach that? Or what would you say to your HR people that need to, to learn how to do this. This is a terrible time. It's a terrible time. I mean, it gives me shivers. We have not had that situation happen, thankfully. There are times that I've had to share with other people that one of their parents has died because I got the phone call first, but that is a, that's a different story. You know, my version and my vision for HR is that we are seen as coaches and we are seen much more as, you know, Sherpas, if you will, so guides. And guides, like anyone else, need the same type of training. They need to know what the trail is going to look like before they get on that trail. And so the training is really important. How you enter into that conversation is with as much grace, gentleness, and what I like to call, you know, a generosity uh, spirit, because you are delivering such life altering news to another person that you you may feel ill-equipped but you know the idea of empathy is that I'm walking alongside you and so let's try to imagine even though it's a horrendous leap to imagine that one of your coworkers has died or your your family member has died try to imagine what it would be like hearing that news put yourself in that position and what would you need to hear and how would you need to hear it and then go forth and do it. There are tons of ways we can step in the doo-doo, tons of ways, but there are even more ways that we can leave someone at least feeling held and seen and cared for. My audience is probably getting tired of me quoting Rabbi Kushner, the author of When Bad Things Happen to Good People. I I read everything that he ever had, and, and Rabbi Kushner talks about those times and says, when you don't know what to say, just say you're sorry and shut up. Yeah. Before you say something stupid, we teach this. I developed this acronym called program and on how to discuss news. And the P is plan. It's amazing how many people go into these difficult conversations, no matter what they are, a review, a termination, a separation, as they like to call it, without a plan. And I think that's the first step. And the G is that is gradual and genuine. Mm, I love it. If they feel that you genuinely care. 
And part of the plan is to take a deep breath, imagine what it's like to be that person and then speak to them. So I think Mm -hmm. it's just wonderful advice that you gave. Before we close, just a couple other questions. Difficult conversations with your boss. You and you and Gary, have an, I've seen so many different interviews with you. You and Gary have this great relationship. And you've, I think you've even described yourself as two sides of one coin. Mm-hmm. But good leaders don't surround themselves with people who say yes all the time. because, And I'm sure Gary doesn't want to do that either. So although you guys are so great together, there's probably, I'm sure sometimes you disagree with Gary. That, how do you take that conversation? Because that's a difficult one. It is a difficult one. You know, the the thing about Gary that I know, I always know ahead of time is that at least he'll listen. And I mean, at least isn't even the right word. Gary will listen and he may disagree, but he will always hear me out and then tell me his side of the coin. We're always going to come at things with the same type of heart, which is based in humanity. And we've had a lot of these conversations as of late, as there have been things due to COVID or due to diversity, equity, and inclusivity that we've had to move on very, very quickly. And so there's not a lot of planning that takes place. So some of what we're doing is shooting from the hip. And you know what? His hips may say something different, but they're always going to be aligned in some way, shape, or form, or else I wouldn't be able to work there. If he and I were so off base, if the way he and I communicated was so off base or our beliefs, then it wouldn't be the right match. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing that he and I are both getting much better at is being candorous with one another, is just going there and remind, you know, look, he, he nor I like conflict. And that's kind of where, again, we're the two sides of the same coin, but, you know, well, so be it you got to get involved in some of these conversations. So we've both been doing a better job at being much more candorous with one another. So there's a millennial out there or a Gen Z or someone who is in a position, they've been at work for three, four, five years. They want to have that conversation with their boss and they want to go in and they want to say, you know, I don't think that I'm, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. But they want to move up. They want to do more. What advice can you give that person to say, this is how you speak to your boss about, hey, I'm ready to do more. I'm ready to move up. So the boss is always going to be listening for what are you going to do for me? How are you bringing me value? So, I mean, I think that's really a a huge part of it. So I think that you want to couch that conversation in, I believe I'm a good fit for this role because... I have done X, Y, and Z, and I can bring more value to you by, you know, training the rest of your staff or by going after the bigger kahuna or whatever it is. So, you know, look, bosses are going to, managers are going to want to hear like, in a way, like, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to alleviate for me or for the team? That is, that is true, right? Because we're all hustling here. But I also want to just say for that Gen Z or that millennial, it is also okay to say, this is a hard conversation for me. I'm working on my self-confidence. Hear me out. I may stumble on my words. Like there's nothing wrong with saying things like that because it's real. And I know not every place is like Vayner. I know it. So these are not easy conversations. But when someone takes that second to just, you know, give them the real, real, I believe that you are then activating some kind of feeling of goodness 
in that other person, the person listening, where you can almost be like, okay, I can get a little soft here. I can be vulnerable here as well. I remember what it was like to be 23 years old asking for a raise. And the drum that I want to always beat is, remember you were there. Yes. Remember you were there. There is no difference between me and someone that I manage. I was already there. And also that's why as a leader, I'm very, very clear that I'm here to turn them into a champion. I've already been there. Excellent advice. So they, yeah. So, so they got me, whatever they need. <laughs> so one final question before we leave, I had something happen to me early on that we discussed earlier about why I got into communication and compassion and medicine. Uh, and I know Gary's had a big influence on you, but other than Gary or your parents, I see the soul in you and it comes through in your body language and what you do in this heart and this really full soul, if you would. So other than your parents or Gary, who was it that you can look back on and say, I happened to see him or her and I, she just had such an influence on me. Was there one person that you can name or maybe two? I mean, it was my Nana, Nana. who I talk a lot about. Yeah. She would have been 105 yesterday. Wow. She had the most empathy of anyone I've ever known. She had the biggest heart. In fact, we called each other heart. I've written a couple uh, pieces on that. And she, I'm telling you, How you know, she would that? leave traded. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And she was alive you know, when I got the role. But she would leave Trader Joe's or leave the bank or leave whatever. And she would say, Tony, because she'd see your name tag. Would you do me a favor? Oh, sweet. Yeah. Would you have a nice day? <laughs> that is so sweet. I mean, <laughs> right? And so she's with me every day. And, you know, just reminding myself that we're all in this together. We are all humans. We are all going through something. Before you enter that door or before you turn on that Zoom, you have had a life, you know? You have to homeschool your kids right now. You have to get lunch ready. You got to take the dog out, whatever it is. And so let's remember that when we enter in to a conversation or when we go to work, let's remember that other people are doing exactly what we're doing. We're waking up, we're putting our feet on the ground, we're having a cup of coffee, and we have other things going on in our lives other than just the hustle that we do at work. Tony Robbins talks about building rapport with people and how you connect with people and finding commonality. And we're so different. We're so diverse. And that's a great thing. When I teach physicians and healthcare providers and human resource people, what I try to say to them is there's commonality in everyone that there is, no matter who you are, there is something that we have in common, right? It doesn't matter how many differences we have. And you could find that commonality in just a few seconds. Because what you said was people are going through the same things that you're going through. And so I teach physicians, you may walk into a room and see a book on the table, or you may walk in a room and, you know, I have patients down in Florida that I'll walk into the room. Maybe the, the mother or the father's not happy because something went wrong with the hospital stay. I walk in the room, I see a Yankees hat and I know, bingo, I'm in, right? And so be genuine. And I see that in you and we can find commonality with everyone. And, and this is a time where everybody's so divided. But if we think about it, no matter how divided you are, there's something in common. It probably can take less than 30 seconds to find it. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Well, this has been incredible. I know how busy you are and I really appreciate you being here. 
I think my audience is going to be really thrilled when they hear this drop. And it's just another journey. And I'm so happy with what you're doing. And I see so many common things. So I'm, I'm in the healthcare, moving into the business. You're already doing this hard stuff in the business. My daughter loves working for you. She loves working at VaynerMedia. My cousin also works there, James Orsini. <laughs> I hope to have him on too someday. I'll speak to him about that in a few weeks. But thanks again so much for coming. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. And to your audience, uh, you know, thank you so much for doing what you do every single day. I really, we all appreciate you. Thank you so much, Claude. If you enjoyed this episode, please click download and please share on social media. You can hit the subscribe button. If you want to learn more about the Orsini Way, we're at theorsiniway.com and you can contact me with any questions and I'll be posting this up soon and we'll let you know. So thank you so much, Claude. Thank you, Tony. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com.